1976, the year I graduated from high school, Apple was co-founded by three men. Steve Jobs, who went on to become the chairman and CEO, the most famous of the three. Steve Wozniak, the mastermind who invented the Apple I and the Apple II computers. And the third guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name was Ronald Wayne. He was the guy that sketched the first logo, the guy that wrote the first manual, the one who created the very partner agreement that began Apple. Ronald Wayne was a 10% shareholder in Apple. Anybody know how many shares of Apple are being traded today? Somewhere around 16 billion shares of Apple being traded at a price of somewhere around $150 per share. So Ronald Wayne's 10% share today would be worth at least $240 billion. However, less than two weeks after getting his 10% share, Ronald Wayne sold out for $800. You talk about a colossal mistake, most people would call it a major mess up. You can go online and read the story about Ronald Wayne, Steve Jobs asking several times to, to come back and to rejoin the company, but he said no. And so most people consider him, you know, that he made a monumental blunder of, of incalculable proportions that he just blew it big time. And a lot of people call him a fool. Our text today has a fool in it. Jesus said so. We're in Luke chapter 12 today. We are focusing in on the travel narrative of Jesus. Luke 9.51 said when the days were approaching for his ascension, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that begins the travel narrative of Jesus on his way to the cross on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. And so I'm selecting some, just some different things that Jesus taught his disciples prior to his crucifixion. And so in Luke chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. And the story that we're going to read about has been repeated millions of times over in the history of the world. It might even be someone's story here today. Who knows? In verse 13 of Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now the background to our text is that huge crowds were following Jesus. Thousands, in fact. Back in verse 1 it tells us there were so many thousands of people that they were trampling on one another. And so we're talking about a huge crowd here, but they weren't following Jesus because of what he was teaching. The majority of them were just curious about what he would do next. Jesus was the best show in town. Let's go see what might take place. So they followed him. And so Jesus spoke to this crowd and he warned them of two incredibly deadly dangers. Number one, false religion. And number two, financial riches. Now, both of his warnings are preceded by the words, beware. Or your Bible might say, be on your guard. The first warning is up in verse 1 where Jesus says at the end of that verse, Beware or be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And verse 15 then, which we did read, Beware or watch out or be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One commentator wrote this, and I quote, If you get the wrong spiritual teaching... And the wrong spiritual influence, your soul will be damned. If you get the wrong physical influence or the wrong material influence, your soul will be damned. The deceitfulness of religion and the deceitfulness of riches war against the soul. End of quote. I think he's right. Ironically, false teachers do what they do for money. The perpetrators and architects of false religion, invariably they're motivated by financial gain. You know that was true of the Pharisees? It was. The Pharisees were hyper-religious. The Pharisees were fanatically religious. They were extremely religious. And you know what it says in Luke 16, 14? The Pharisees were lovers of money. They were lovers of money. And the reality is you're either laying up treasure for yourself or you're being rich towards God. You're either being rich towards yourself or rich towards God. And we'll get to that in a moment. But even in the midst of a year or so where inflation has jumped and where the economy is not what we want it to be possibly, regardless of all of that, we still enjoy staggering material prosperity here in the United States compared to other parts of the world. We have so many possessions that they possess us. Our possessions possess us. We are consumed by our consumption. And if you don't believe that, just think, think of how many storage facilities there are right here in Lawrence County. I mean, facilities that most people, not all, but most people use to lay up treasure here on earth. But the Bible teaches us to lay up treasure where? In heaven. Ben Merrill used to make the point. He said, what goes to heaven? People. 
and we're to lay up treasure in heaven. And if people are the only thing that go to heaven, then what are we to be laying up there? People, souls. I'd never thought of it that way until Ben preached that message like that. But we need to be rich towards God. The Bible teaches us to lay up treasure in heaven. Henry David Thoreau, in his book Walden, observed that the people in his village spent their lives accumulating objects that needed constant dusting. <laughs> and they doted on those things. They even built their lives around them. And he said then when they died, they gathered up all their stuff. Men carried it down to the town square. They auctioned it off to other people who would spend their lives dusting it. Anybody like to go to auctions? Yeah. Paul warned in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 that people that want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now make sure you, you get what that verse says. It does not say that the rich fall into temptation. It says people that want to get rich. I know a lot of poor people that want to get rich. And I know a lot of rich people. I shouldn't say I know a lot of rich people, but I know some rich people that want to get richer. If we just had more money, right? Most people I know would like to be on the road to financial freedom, and they believe the key to that is having more money. And that's absolutely not true. It's not. Vince Young, in 2006, was the college football player that everyone was talking about. Vince had led his college team from Texas to a Rose Bowl win and the national championship over USC. He was the third round draft pick, I think, that year. And in his first year, he was voted the offensive player of the year for the Tennessee Titans. He signed with Tennessee a contract with a $25 million guarantee. That was in 2006. I can only imagine what it would be now. Eight years later, in 2014, Vince Young filed for bankruptcy. And I think to myself, if I had $25 million, I think I could. No. And neither could you. Having more money is not the way to financial freedom. But we get locked in with this laser focus on earning more money and having more possessions. And it's all about getting all this stuff. And Henry, Henry Thoreau, he hit it right on the head. You're just getting more stuff to dust. And one day you'll return to dust. And other people will get your stuff to dust. So Jesus is teaching the people about the danger of false religion and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He goes on here in chapter 1 to talk about how it's important you don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And then he says how the Holy Spirit will be there for you when you need him in the midst of persecution. And then all of a sudden, the guy in the crowd interrupts him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
It's almost like he can't wait for Jesus to stop talking, to, to take a breath so he can start talking about his things. And so in verse 14, Jesus cut him off and said, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter between you? Now, there were specific laws in the land of Israel for inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 21 talks to some of them. Numbers chapter 27. The firstborn was to get a double share of the inheritance. He would take care of the rest of the family and become the leader of the family at the death or the incapacitation of the father. But Jesus is really saying to this man, you don't understand. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he wasn't going to get sidetracked by earthly matters. He didn't come to this earth to be some run-of-the-mill rabbi that settled these petty material disputes among brothers. Ha! Huh. Jesus came to be the judge of every man, woman, boy, and girl in matters of eternal significance. And Jesus, I think, is essentially saying to this man in the crowd, you really want me to be your judge? You know what you're asking? And then Jesus warned everybody there, beware, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And he follows that statement with one of the most memorable parables that he ever told, the parable of the rich fool. And the man in the parable wasn't just rich, he was very rich. And he had just experienced a bumper harvest, never had a harvest like this before. It created a problem. What's he going to do with all the surplus? Well, it didn't take long for him to make up his mind that He'd build bigger barns, he'd store all the grain, wait till the price went up, sell the surplus, make even more money. And at verse 19, he said, I'll tell my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. Most scholars agree that he was going to quit working, that he was going to sit back, he's going to enjoy retirement and let somebody else take care of it. And by the way, did you notice he said, I, six times, and my five times in three verses. Talk about somebody with eye trouble. Chuck Swindoll paraphrased the story like this, and I quote. He said, I would paraphrase the story in today's terms like this. The business of a wealthy entrepreneur was off the chart. Every idea worked. Every decision succeeded. He added new accounts each month and the money rolled in. He began thinking, this is a gold mine. My major problem is out of control growth. I'm running out of space. There seems to be no end in sight. So this is my plan. I'll enlarge headquarters and multiply my staff. I'll add a warehouse nearby and open several branches each year for the next 10 years, exactly as my consultant has suggested. As the business continues to grow, I'll slip further and further out of the picture and leave the work in the hands of my efficient executive staff. And I'll just take the profits and enjoy them. I might even retire early. Then came the shocker. But God said. But God said. And let me tell you folks, let me encourage you. You better pay attention to and live your life by what God says. Because one day, you might be stopped dead in your tracks by what God says. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You know, that's the materialist 
worst nightmare that somebody else gets it all. You work hard for it, you save for it, you make it multiply, and then all of a sudden somebody else gets it. And listen, you better get in lockstep with the one that controls the future. Because if you're not being rich towards God and you just live for yourself, your future could be changed just like that. How many tragedies do we read about every month that happens to people regardless of age just like that? A vehicle accident, motorcycle accident, a four-wheeler accident, a boating accident, an inoperable tumor, stage four cancer. A massive heart attack, you name it. Just like that. So don't gamble with your life and don't gamble with your future. Don't gamble with your family. There is a God in heaven. There is a Bible and it's true. And don't be overrun by a society that says, no, man, that stuff's garbage. You don't have to pay attention to that. Because God may very well say to you, you fool. You fool. How foolish to make all of our plans and spend all of our money with no thought of God whatsoever. You know what the brother of the Lord said, James in the book of James, chapter 4 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. The application of the parable is in verse 21. Did you see it? Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And I wish we had time to go on in chapter 12 because Jesus goes on to say not to worry about anything in verses 22 through 30, that God will take care of them. He goes on to encourage them to put God and his kingdom first in verses 31 and 32. And then he tells him in verse 33 to lay up treasure in heaven. And how does he conclude in verse 34? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Boy, we like to turn that around, don't we? We like to think where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Uh -uh. Jesus said just the opposite. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This rich fool made at least three major mistakes. Number one, he thought his bank account was more important than his spiritual account. Wrong. He measured the worth, his worth, by business deals and balance sheets and bottom lines. And what God says, the spiritual side of things, didn't even figure into the equation. He probably saw himself as a self-made man. And you know what a self-made man is made of, don't you? Inferior material. He didn't even consider his self-serving, self-absorbed selfishness. My grain, my barns, my goods, my, my, my. Was he ever off track? And the problem wasn't his success. The problem was his stewardship of his success. You see, here's what you need to know. God is not against our success. He's not. In fact, God is the source of our success. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
If you're successful and you're able to produce wealth, God gave you that ability. It comes from Him. So how do you think He feels when He blesses us with some degree of success or some measure of prosperity and then we turn our backs on Him and go our own way? You fool. You fool, He would say. His second mistake was he thought his body was more important than his soul. Now tell me, what use does a soul have for barns or banquets or beer? I mean, it says, he said to his soul, here's all this stuff you can do. Eat, drink, and be merry. Those things have to do with the material side of life. They have nothing to do with the soul. The soul is engineered for the spiritual side of life. The soul needs to be saved. The soul needs to be sanctified. The soul needs to be fed from the scriptures. But this man had no thought for those things. His body was more important than his soul. He made a third mistake. He thought the temporal was more important than the eternal. How do I know that? Well, he said, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Dr. John Phillips said, and I quote, he was evidently still a young man. He assured himself that he had many years, but he's going to be dead before daybreak. Even as he was gloating over his fortune and his future, full of fun and frolics, looking again and again and again at his bank book and his balance sheet, the voice of God rang forth. God had been looking at the balance sheet that he was keeping of this man's life, and he wrote across the whole thing one word, bankrupt. Fool, God said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. End quote. So here are three observations very quickly. Number one, when you're blessed with much, give generously. Number two, when you plan for the future, Think briefly. And number three, whether you have much or little, hold it loosely. Everything you have belongs to God. He owns it all. And if you maintain that perspective, then your grip on things automatically loosens. And moreover, you begin to discover that God doesn't care about how much you have, whether a little or a lot. He simply wants your unquestioned devotion to him above all. And he wants you to use what he's given you for his kingdom. If you want God to do something off the charts, you have to take your hands off the controls. Life is a lot like golf. If you want to hit the ball farther, you have to loosen your grip on the club. Is that true, Alexis? Absolutely, that's true. Ask a golfer. Yeah. Most people want to grip the club harder to, so they can hit it farther, but when they do that, ball doesn't even go where they want it to go. So life is like golf. When you loosen your grip, you go further. The Lord asked Moses, what's in your hand? All Moses had was a staff. But that's the same question God asks you and me. And you may be tempted to say, I, just a staff, just like Moses, and you may think you can't make much of a difference in this world, and you can't. As long as you hold on to what you have. But if you put those two fish into God's hands, God can feed over 5,000. So what's in your hand? You can hang on to it and see what you can do. Or you can hand it over to God and see what God can do. The choice is yours. Don't be a fool. Be rich 
towards God. We're going to come to a time of decision this morning. I don't know the decisions that you need to make in light of a message like that. We're going to give you the opportunity to make a decision this morning.